What's going on, family? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors at Renaissance. Super grateful that you've tuned in with us for our online service. Before we get started in today's message, I want to pray for us. So God, our Father, you describe yourself as our provider, meaning you give us not just what we need to survive, but also to thrive. Lord, I pray that in these moments, the words that we speak, the scriptures that we read, that they would be food to our souls. Bless us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you follow me on IG, you know that I love to cook. And last week I was in my kitchen with my favorite knife cutting an onion and something went wrong and it just wasn't cutting the way that I wanted it to cut. Now, if you know anything about knives, you know that once they come into contact with the outside world, eventually, slowly but surely, even if you spend a decent amount of money on it, it's going to start to dull. So being the modern, elder millennial, I guess I still qualify as a millennial that I am, I went online and I found one of these uh, online companies that allows you to mail in knives and they sharpen them and they take care of them uh, and bring them back better than new, uh, as it says in the description. And for $59, it better be better than new. But one thing that I, I love doing when I was searching around these different companies, they were showing all these videos how they sharpen the knives. And in order to sharpen the knives, they had to bring it into contact with something that was hard, a hard surface. Now, thousands of years before there were mail-in knife order kits, thousands of years before there were um, cutting boards and all of these different uh, inventions that we have today, there was a problem of dullness, and not just with swords or axes, but also with spiritual conditions. So much so that in the Bible, a man named Solomon penned these words uh, when he talked about this concept of being sharp and also being dull. And here's what Solomon says about this. In Proverbs 27 and 17, he says, iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Here's what Solomon knew about himself and about you and about me, that the more you and I go into contact and make contact with the outside world, eventually, it doesn't happen overnight, but eventually, we'll start to dull. The more you get into contact with work and other people and online learning and all of the wonderful things that come, out, uh, come at us, left unchecked, slowly but surely, we will start to dull. Now, for me personally, uh, I start to dull in three main areas, and these might resonate with you. The first area where I sense dullness in my life sometimes is in my convictions. Now, convictions are essentially the degree to which I feel the weight of my beliefs. A lot of times, my beliefs don't go anywhere, but there are moments when I just don't feel strongly about those beliefs. So I, I read all these beautiful doctrines, I, I, I hear these sermons, I read these scriptures, and I just don't feel convicted to do anything. Sometimes it's that uh, my life, I'll just kind of go with the flow, and there's really not that much passion in my life. And what I need to get back sometimes is to be around someone who can help me sharpen in my convictions, who can help me really truly feel the weight of my beliefs. A number of months ago, when um, so much stuff was happening in our country starting to uh, resurface all the racial injustice, I got on the phone with one of my mentors um, and so grateful for older men uh, who have been pastors for years, who can speak some truth into my life. And man, to be perfectly honest, even though I was believing the same things, I just didn't really feel them sharply. 
Things like I need to spend time in prayer and reading scripture, not just so I can stand here and preach a sermon to some cameras, uh, but also so that I can truly be a child of God. And I got on the phone with my mentor and he yelled at me for 45 minutes about I need to make sure that I am prioritizing spending personal time cultivating an, a deep inner life with Jesus and that I would be a hypocrite if I would stand in front of you and, and preach a sermon, but I myself was going around and not really spending time bathing in God's word, really reflecting and chewing on scripture for myself. And to be quite honest, that moment was a turning point for me. I, I really felt a sharpness return to my convictions. Left to myself, I start to feel my convictions starting to dull. Now, a lot of people feel this very acutely when they move to a big city or you move to New York and maybe when you were at home or maybe when you were in college, you had a group of people around you who kept you feeling the weight of your beliefs and kept you living a life where you lived by your convictions. And then you move away from those people. You move away from those friends. You move away from those family members. And slowly but surely, you start to feel your convictions dull to the point to where it doesn't really bother you to live a life that would have horrified you before. So one area I feel dullness in my life at times is in my convictions. Uh, another area in my life where I certainly feel dullness sometimes is in my affection. Now affection is basically, this is the warmth that I feel in my heart towards Jesus. And sometimes uh, I'll be thinking about um, a scripture or something will hit me and it will truly warm my heart. And I'm not talking about just the emotion. I'm talking about the passion in which we follow after Jesus. If all of the gospel is true, that God has come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, redeemed us from our sin by going to the cross on our behalf, wiped away our sins, raised in power and victory, he's done all that for us, then our lives should reflect a deep passion and a burning passion to live in life in pursuit of Jesus. And sometimes it's just not there. I don't really feel a warmth in my heart. I just kind of feel like I'm going through the motions. And I remember being at a community group one time and hearing someone in my community group just pray. And the sincerity of her prayer that night, it just awakened me and it, it brought back the sharpness to the affection I had. Now here's a, a scripture that Jesus says in Matthew 15 and uh, 18 where he talks about this concept of affection. And every time I read it, it just convicts me and really challenges me. And, and here's what Jesus says uh, about that. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that you can have a relationship with him or you can have a, a supposed relationship with him where with your mouth you say all the right things, but your heart is really far from him. So sometimes it's in my convictions, sometimes it's in my affections, and other times it's in my enthusiasm to do the things that God calls us to do. And sometimes, you know, you just get caught going in the motions and you just don't feel like doing anything. You don't feel like doing anything different. I have a friend here, I don't wanna start calling names of all the wonderful people at Renaissance because I would leave uh, people out, uh, but I was hanging out with a friend once who was really, really engaged and has been engaged for so long in anti-racism work and her enthusiasm for it, she's not jaded, she's not mean for no reason, she's been in the game for decades and her enthusiasm to truly do the work of justice just sharpens me. Me just simply being around her takes the dullness off of the edge of my life and it gives me more enthusiasm to move forward. 
And scripture says that the remedy for you being dull in your convictions, your, your affection, or your enthusiasm is not just more discipline. It's not just listening to another sermon. It's not just waking up 15 minutes early, although all of these things are good in and of themselves. In order for us to be sharp, to feel the weight of our convictions and our beliefs, you and I need to be around not just any old person, but we need to be around iron, and we need to come into the proximity with the other people so that we can both be mutually strengthened and sharpened. Solomon was correct when he says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, a number of months ago, we did a sermon series on the book of Philippians, and I earmarked this passage that we're gonna be going through today from Philippians because it just stuck out to me so powerfully of a man named Paul. And Paul wrote almost uh, about a half of the New Testament. And Paul had so much spiritual insight. Uh, he was such a mature person in faith. And yet, he makes sure that he identifies the people in his life that God has used to push him in his faith, to strengthen him, to encourage him, uh, to challenge him in so many different ways. Now, if it's true for Paul, it's certainly true for us as well. And here's the truth about our spiritual walks. Your walk with Jesus is personal, but it's not individual. It's personal for sure. There are decisions that you need to make. There are confessions that you need to make. Uh, you need to receive Christ personally for sure. But your walk with God is not individual. If you're going to be a person with a razor sharp edge of faith, you need to be around other iron to help sharpen you. Now, I want to turn to this passage of scripture and it shows us two things. One, it shows us what we need to be for other people, and it also shows us what we need from other people in the church. Now, one of the greatest challenges of any sermon, or certainly a sermon where we're talking about gospel-centered community, is a lot of times we start to think about what other people need to be. Yeah, they need to do this, they need to do that, and there is certainly truth to that. But primarily, I want you thinking about you, and this is what you need to be in order for this community to flourish. A couple of weeks ago, uh, there was all of this stuff happening in the New York Times. People saying, New York is dead. And you know, I'll let, I'll let Jerry Seinfeld clap back on people online. Suffice it to say, New York is nowhere near dead. But one thing that it did reveal in the conversation was how consumeristic people are. Once you take away some of the conveniences that people want, they leave it completely. Now, unfortunately, people treat church community the same way. Once a church community or once a group of people can no longer give you everything you want, sometimes people withdraw. But a city and a church, they're just a collection of people. It will be whatever you put into it. A lot of times people come up to me and they thank me so profusely, say, oh, Renaissance is so amazing. I say, well, don't thank me, thank yourself. You are part of the reason that makes this church what it is. We are amazing by God's grace because of people like you. So I want you thinking about you and what God is calling you to give in addition to what God is calling you to receive. And this scripture comes in Philippians 2, and we'll start in verse 19. Paul says this, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who, uh, who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. 
Now, hopefully you have a, a lot of people in your life that are good and godly, but I want to pull out a couple of things from first the life of Timothy and also Paul's friend Epaphroditus that I hope will be characteristics of our community uh, this fall and going on into the future. And there's a couple of things that uh, um, are pretty interesting about this passage of scripture. The first is that Paul says that him and Timothy are like-minded. Now, if you know uh, the history of this letter, you know that Paul and Timothy, one, they're like about 20, 25 years apart in age. So Paul grew up on Motown, Timothy grew up listening to Biggie, Jay-Z, and Nas. So when Paul says that they're like-minded, he's not saying that they have a lot in common in terms of how they were brought up. And not just the age difference, but also Timothy's father was a Greek, and Paul was a Pharisee from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew. Paul and Timothy grew up very differently in the religious uh, ways that they understood themselves, the rituals that they practiced, and all these different things. So how could Paul say that he and Timothy are like-minded when they didn't grow up the same way? Here's how. Paul could say that Timothy and he were like-minded because they were on the same mission together to glorify God with every part of themselves. They knew that they had been brought into this new family of what it means to be a follower and a, a member of the family of God brought in by Jesus Christ, and they were of a singular mind. Now, why is this so important? One of the blessings about Renaissance is that it's an incredibly diverse church, all different types of walks of life, um, people from every, you know, every corner of, of the globe. Um, I don't know how many continents we have represented. I know we don't have anyone from Antarctica, but I would bet we have at least five or six. Uh, but with all of this, a lot of times people push out others who don't have their shared experience. And I don't want you to do that because I think you'll miss a lot of what God wants to do in you and in this community if we, if we do that. You can still be like-minded with someone even if you don't have the same experiences growing up. So number one, Paul says that they are like-minded, and I want to challenge you when you think about what is your goal? What is your aspiration? If your aspiration is to grow in Christ-like character, then yes, there will be things that, that, you, that differ in the way that you experience life, but you can still have the same like-mindedness if you are pursuing and chasing after the same thing. So first, Timothy, uh, Paul says that uh, he and Timothy are, are like-minded. And the second thing he says um, is that uh, Timothy is a person of proven character. And Lord, I wish I had 35 minutes to talk about this character. Um, character is such an elusive thing in our day. Character is a person who has integrity, meaning the person you see in front of you is the same person that uh, is in reality. They're not putting up um, a front to pretend that they're something that they're not. There's someone, and Paul calls him someone of proven character, there's someone who follows through with what they say that they're going to do. Now, here's what I know I've needed in my life, and I know that you need this in your life as well. You need people of proven character who will follow through with their commitments, not just on a day-by-day -day basis, but will follow through with their commitment to you and to this community in the long run. As we form these groups and as we've had groups in the past, one of the things that has really robbed groups of their ability to be this iron sharpening iron has been flimsy commitments of people who are not battle-tested. That once things got a little uncomfortable, once it rained on a Tuesday night, people kind of gave up on the whole process. 
And one of the, bless, the best things that's going to allow us to grow, to be these iron sharpening iron people, to experience the fullness of what God has for us, is if we are people of character, that we follow through with what we commit to. I want to skip down to Epaphroditus in verse 24. And Paul talks about this with Epaphroditus. He says, I am confident in the Lord um, that I myself will also come soon. And this is Paul talking to the Philippian church uh, about his hopeful return to them. And he says, but I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick, indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. So Paul calls Epaphroditus his fellow soldier. Modern translations would say Epaphroditus is Paul's ride or die. Epaphroditus is the one that really uh, risked his own safety and well-being for the furtherance of the cause of the gospel. And um, as a fellow soldier, he labored with Paul. He contended with Paul side by side. And these are the type of people that God is calling us to be who are not just thinking about our own interests. This is what a fellow soldier does. You're not just thinking about your own interests, but you're thinking about the good of the unit. Now, in modern society, we have this really uh, dirty word called submission that nobody wants to ever talk about. But submission is a beautiful biblical concept, which basically means trading in your independence for the good of the unit. I'm say that again. Submission is you trading in your independence for the good of the team of the unit. Every sporting team knows this. Every football team, every basketball team knows this, that in order to thrive and to truly uh, win, you need to trade in your independence, what you want to do for the good and the thriving of the whole team. And the type of people that God wants you to be and me to be are people who don't just think about us, but trade in our independence for the good of the unit, for the good of the church and the good of the group. Now, one of these things that we all need from our fellow soldiers, from our people who are like-minded is we, we have two real big needs in community in order to really be sharpened. One, we need to be known, and two, we need to be challenged. We need to be known and we need to be challenged. Brian Loritz is a pastor and a great preacher and he says it like this, uh, to challenge without knowing is harsh condemning, judgmental, and will not be received well. But to know someone without challenging them is spineless, weak, and unloving. Now, I know people who have been around church for, for, for decades, and they remain in perpetual infancy and immaturity because they are not known and they are not challenged. They stay just far enough away so that people don't really, really, truly know them and without being known, you really can't truly be transformed. Or alternatively, they're not around people who will challenge them to live to the life that Christ calls us to live. Earlier in the book of Philippians, Paul says this, only this one thing, I urge you that you would live a life that's worthy of the gospel. And we need people around us that challenge us and push us to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. 
and you're not going to be able to do it on your own. One of the reasons I know this to be true is because you and I have blind spots. There are parts about us that we cannot see or we don't want to see. One of those blind spots is this right here. We tend to evaluate everybody else based on their actions, but we judge ourselves based off of our intentions. So for us, you know, we give ourselves a lot of passes and you know, this is what I would have done if I got more sleep or if, or if this happened. But everybody else, we judge them by their actions and we're actually able to see clearly how a person is living. Years ago, uh, my nephew was staying with us in our house and uh, every now and then he would leave something out and I would you know, suck my teeth and say, man, he's leaving this out or he's doing that. And one night I was doing the dishes and I, I stopped up the sink to do the dishes, turned on the water, walked out, turned on the NBA game and I heard a trickle. I sprinted in the kitchen and the whole floor was flooded, so much so that there's actually a little bit of a dip in my kitchen, <laughs> in my, in my kitchen now. And had that been anybody else on the planet, I would have lost my mind. But for me, you know what? I had been tired. I was doing the dishes, first of all, which is in and of itself an amazing thing. I'm a great husband and a great dad, working all day, doing the dishes by night. You know, by the end of the conversation I had with myself, I was ready to give myself an award just for being such a great person doing the dishes. But anybody else, it would, I would have completely fried them. It's always grace for me, judgment for others. And that's because we tend to judge ourselves based on our intentions, and we judge other people based on their actions. And if you are not around people to be known and to be challenged, you're just gonna be giving yourself free pass after free pass. Now, I know it's not easy to truly invest yourself in something, to truly fully be known, and also to be challenged. Nobody likes to be challenged. And I think it's for a number of reasons. I'll call these the killer P's, three different things that I think get in our way of being known and being challenged. The first is, is pain. Now, pain is that thing that happens in our lives that turns us inward. And it prevents us from wanting to open up, from thinking about other people, because it just tends to make us think about us. And we don't, we're not thinking about anybody else. We're not thinking about challenging anyone else. We're just thinking about ourselves. So pain is a big one that turns us uh, and makes us focus on us. Another one is protection. Protection is, for some of you who have been around church for a little bit, where maybe once upon a time, you did actually open up and you did allow yourself to be known. And maybe someone didn't treat your information with the care and integrity that they should have treated, treated it with. And since they didn't keep your, your, uh, your words to themselves, or since they did something or didn't treat you the way that was godly or honorable, now you're in protection mode. And now instead of truly allowing yourself to be known and challenged, you're just trying to protect yourself from being harmed again. Now the third one isn't pain, it's not protection, it's pride. You don't think that you actually need other people. You think other people might need other people, but you don't. Now, I personally have a much easier time giving help than asking for help, and that's because that's pride. A lot of you don't wanna ask for a real prayer request, not that you're, you know, your uncle's dopamine pincher needs, you know, needs to get stitches, but for you, like a real prayer request where you are really struggling or hurting or a real confession of sin, 
because it's pride. You're, you're, you're more concerned with how you look in other people's eyes than how you actually are in God's eyes. And pride leads to destruction. And I don't want pride to prevent you or prevent me from being known and challenged that would actually allow us to grow. So whether it's pain protection or pride, you and I need to make sure that we are being known and challenged and we are regularly availing ourselves to God's words through scripture so that we can be changed and transformed. So in the middle of this pandemic, what are we going to do? If you've been around Renaissance for a, a little bit, uh, you might have known that in times past, we've had community groups. And I'll never forget how amazing it feels to sit shoulder to shoulder in someone's apartment, 15 people, some beautiful sm food cooking in the kitchen, uh, and to, to share a meal and to eat and to break open scripture together. It's amazing. But in the middle of this pandemic, we can't do that. So we spent a lot of time thinking and praying, how can we truly bring people into meaningful relationship with each other in a safe way? So this fall, starting October 4th, um, the week of October 4th, we are launching something completely new uh, called DNA Groups. Now let me make sure that I'm, I'm really clear on what these groups are. Uh, the DNA Groups will be groups of about four to six men or four to six women. Um, and mainly, we wanted to shrink the number of people, uh, one, because we're going to be meeting online. And if you've been on a Zoom call with 20 people, you know how impossible it feels to be to see all those little squares uh, on the screen. One, like nobody really wants to share. And even if you, everybody does share, you don't want to be going around and around for like two hours on, on Zoom. The format will be that at the beginning of the group time, there will be a teaching uh, a, a teaching that you're all gonna watch together for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then after that teaching, there'll be a time of scriptural reflection, and then we're gonna get real. We're gonna get real, and we're gonna talk about not just what that scripture says in general, but what that scripture means to you. And also, we're gonna have time so that you can be known and you can be challenged. All of this, we're gonna be going through the book of Exodus together. Uh, for the next number of months, we'll be going through the book of Exodus. And it's going to be a really, really rich time of engaging in the scripture, of knowing other people, of being challenged and challenging others to be the iron that sharpens iron so that uh, we can have a razor sharp edge of faith. Now, the honest engagement uh, that we really hope to have is probably the biggest reason why we're separating men and women this semester for our DNA groups. And here's what I've just found over the past six years, that whenever you put uh, men in a group with, uh, with everybody, we hide. We hide. And our only chance, ladies, of being honest for 10 seconds is if you put us with a, a bunch of other men uh, so that we can do that. And I've seen the same thing happen with the ladies as well. It's much easier to really be real in, um, in men-only groups and in women-only groups. So we're hoping that these are going to be really uh, amazing. And here's what we need you to do. We need you to go to renaissancenyc.com backslash DNA and register for the group. There's a whole bunch of different days and times. Pick the one that you can, uh, you can commit to regularly. If you know right now you can't make a couple of weeks, do not pick that day. Um, we're locking the group, so once you're in it, that's it. We're not letting people switch back and forth. We want you to commit to it and grow from it. 
So this is our DNA groups for this, uh, this fall, and we're gonna reevaluate everything in the spring, depending on how this pandemic is progressing or not. Uh, but it's our hope and it's our prayer and it's our goal that at the end of this time, you'll look back on your DNA group and you'll say, I was ironed to someone or someone was ironed to me. And if you tell the story of the last number of months of your faith journey, you would be sharper in your convictions, in your affection, and in your enthusiasm. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray for this community of people. I pray for us, Lord. I pray that you would be the design architect of how the group should be comprised. And Lord, that you would meet each and every person that, that comes to your group to be honest and to be vulnerable and to engage with the scripture, to engage with their brothers and their sisters so that we can be iron. Lord, I pray that this would sharpen us and refine us and make us more faithful followers of you. Lord, I pray that this would be a spark for so many of us, and I pray that we would be a spark to others who are, who are needing it. Lord, give us wisdom in how we navigate these time and give us passion so we can follow after you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.